brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I am an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as always, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. It seems like years since it's been clear. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So here comes the sun, guys. We're going to talk about the sun and how it can affect electronics. You guys have probably been hearing about this uh, in the news because we're coming up on the peak of sunspot activity during its uh, 11-year cycle. And uh, and so there's been a lot of talk about what this might do to electronics and power grids and that kind of thing. And we want to kind of uh, talk to you about what the sun can do, how it can do it, and why you know we need to be concentrating on things like upgrading the power grid, at least in North America, to uh, to prepare ourselves for this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, now, really, to start off, we need to know what the sun is, right? Yes. I mean that that would help us tremendously in the discussion. So it's that big yellow thing up there in the sky. Well, I would like to refer to. A song uh, that was written by Hi Zaret and Lou Singer, but was made more famous by a group called They Might Be Giants. Now, the song starts with, The sun is a mass of incandescent gas, a gigantic nuclear furnace. Now, as it turns out, uh, Hi and Lou, and by extension, They Might Be Giants, got that not exactly 100% accurate. Yeah. Uh, so... The sun is not just a mass of incandescent gas, a gigantic nuclear furnace. Um, it's it's a little more complex than that. And in, in fact, before I go any further, I should add that They Might Be Giants has since uh, recorded another song that uh, addresses this. Yeah. They, they go into more detail, and it's part of their children's series, so you can check that out. But what the sun is, it's a gigantic ball of plasma. I, yeah, plasma. I'm sorry. I, there's a joke that, that in my head I always say, and I just decided not to go with it this time. So but, that's why you had to pause, because you yes, had to let it play out inside. Yes, I did. Gotcha. Indeed. Yeah. It is, in fact. Um, and it, it has been around for quite some time and is expected to be quite some time more because it is uh, gradually uh, using up a vast supply of helium. Yes. Uh, so... The sun, uh, plasma, we've talked about it many, many times. Plasma is an ionized gas. It's gas mm-hmm. that has free-roaming electrons in it. Uh, in the case of the sun, the, the temperatures are so high that that energy strips atoms of their electrons. That's what causes the electrons to, to fly around. Mm-hmm. And we've also talked about in the past that when electrons flow, that's electricity. Mm-hmm. And one of the byproducts of an electrical flow is a magnetic field. Right. Uh, this is what the basis of electromagnets are. That's that's the whole foundation, right? That yes. You can induce electricity through by using a magnetic field. That's a that's a dynamo. Or Sorry, did you? Uh, yeah. Yes. That would Sorry. be a dynamo, right? Uh, electromagnet is the other way around. Yeah, I thought that's where you were going. I was like, yeah, hey, no. I, I realized as I was saying it that I was going backwards. Electromagnet, you use electricity to create a magnetic field. Mm-hmm. Um, a dynamo, you use a magnetic field to induce electricity. Right. So that's really the basis of where these problems come from. But we'll we'll get, build a little further. So okay, the sun's pretty complex. Oh yeah, especially definitely. with magnetic fields. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Earth as a uh, a comparison is very simple. 
if you look at the Earth, if you were to be able to look at the Earth and, and think of it like, a, you know, you make the Earth kind of a, a clear ball, um, the magnetic field would go around the Earth as if there was a small bar magnet running through the center of the Earth with the North Pole and the South Pole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you look inside your head right now, you'll see an illustration of exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, it's a lot harder for us to actually show this on an audio podcast. <laughs> but the, the idea here being that uh, you would have these magnetic fields that link the one pole of the magnet to the other pole. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, we usually draw these out by these big loops. And mm-hmm. if you ever look at a, a drawing of a magnetic field, you'll see these lines. We call them magnetic field lines um, that that kind of give you an indication of how strong the fields are. If you see lots of uh, lines parallel to one another, that means that that's where the field is particularly strong. Right. Mm-hmm. And then there may be a big gap and you see another line. Well, that means that the field's not particularly strong in that area, but it still extends that to that uh, side. Right. Uh, here's a, an interesting rule. Okay. Magnetic field lines cannot cross. Really? Really. And this is po- possibly why uh, the sun is the way it is. Uh, when you look at the sun, you think of the sun in um, in three major uh, layers. Mm-hmm. Okay? You got the, f- the photosphere, which is the core right. of it. Uh, that gets pretty hot. <laughs> That's that's a understatement. 15, 15 million degrees or so. Pretty hot. That's pretty hot. 15 million degrees. Yes, that is warmer than Atlanta in the summer. I'm pretty uh, sure you could bake a, chi- uh, a tray of chicken nuggets in a pretty short time. Yeah. In a, in yeah. A, you you know, can vaporize them instantaneously. Yeah, that, that would do it. The surface of the sun, however, is mm-hmm. a relatively chilly 5,000 degrees. Yes. So, uh, you know, you've got the core. That, and that's where you're getting to the, um, the chromosphere. I'm sorry. Did you say 5,000? Yes. Okay. That's the surface. Okay. The actual surface of the sun. But be Beyond the surface of the sun is something called the corona. Right. Now, the corona can be 2 million degrees. Okay. So the corona, and and people might say, well, how can the corona, which is the next layer out, how can that be hotter than the surface of the sun? Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's a good question. And we're not entirely sure that we know the answer, but the possible explanation is that it's because magnetic field lines are constantly shifting on the surface of the sun and these are re- relatively small compared to the the entire mass of the sun mm-hmm. but because magnetic field lines cannot cross any time that one magnetic field gets close to another they have to readjust they cannot cross one another and that this this constant shifting is what generates the energy necessary to create that massive amount of heat in the corona because otherwise you would think, like, if you think of, like, a, a heat source, mm-hmm. the the heat dissipates the further away you get from the source, right? Sure. So that's why it gets confusing. Like, how could you get hotter than the surface if you're further away from the source of the heat, which presumably would be the core? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's part of it. So the sun has all these magnetic fields, mm-hmm. and that's where some problems can happen. That's true. Yeah. Uh, you may have heard of these things called sunspots. Yes. No. Sun- go, yeah, go ahead, please. I was going to say uh, sunspots are, uh, at least according to uh, to NOAA, 
the uh, government agency, not the guy with the big boat. Right. With the animals. Yes. Uh, sunspots are uh, are areas in which the magnetic field is about 2,500 times uh, stronger than than the Earth's. Right. Yeah. And, and, that's, and uh, these are and it's it's higher than anywhere else in the sun, for that matter. Right. So you know that that. Um, you know they they pop up from time to time, but what's odd is the temperature on those areas is cooler. Yeah, what's happening is uh, hot gases from the core of the sun mm-hmm. rise toward the surface. Right. Okay. So so here's another thing about the sun. This is part of the reason why magnetic fields get so uh, so uh, wound up on the surface of the sun or mm-hmm. over in the corona even. Um, it's that. You've got two major forces at play here. You've got the the tendency for hot things to expand. Mm -hmm. The sun is extremely hot, so therefore it's trying to expand quite a bit. But you also have the force of gravity, because Mm -hmm. the sun is very dense and very large, so it has a very strong gravitational pull. The gravity is kind of what holds it together while it's also trying to expand, and this creates a lot of pressure, which is what sort of can muck up the uh, magnetic field lines on the surface. Mm -hmm. Now, if you get these magnetic field lines clumping together, again, they're not crossing, but they're all kind of gathering into a a space. That's what can suppress that hot gas from the core from getting to the surface. Okay. So that's where that area of the surface begins to cool in comparison to the rest of the surface of the sun. It makes the darker spot on the sun, that's the sun spot. Right. So yeah, if you were to to look at the sun using um, uh, an electronic telescope, something that's not going to burn your retinas out, you would actually be able to see that the there are little spots on the sun that are darker than the rest, and that would be where these magnetic fields are preventing that hot gas from rising to the surface. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, sometimes they fix themselves. Sometimes they fix themselves. Yeah. Sometimes the magnetic field lines will become untwisted, and the uh, gases will be able to rise to the surface, and the the surface will warm up to the same temperature as the rest of the surface, mm-hmm. and the sunspot will go away. Right. Sometimes they don't. <laughs> okay, then. Well, the, they don't is the big thing. Right. Do you want to talk about the big thing? The big thing? The solar flares? Oh, okay. I mean, we guess I guess we can. I was going to... Uh to add, by the way, a couple technical terms. Oh, please do. Please do. Uh, and, and just a couple interesting facts, too, because uh, the um, there are two, basically, uh, a dark region of the uh, sunspot is known as the umbra. And uh, there's a lighter region immediately around it uh, called the penumbra. Um but yeah, it's it's different, uh, and the reason the reason they are that color is because of the temperature. But uh, they may seem very small if you were to see photos of sunspots. I've you know seen quite a few of them in, mm-hmm. in photos uh, uh, distributed by NASA. Uh, they look pretty small. But keep in mind that uh, again, according to NOAA, that um, the uh, typical size of one of those teeny tiny sunspots is about the size of. You know the Earth, right? Yeah. So they're they're actually quite large. They're they're small in relation to the size of the Sun overall, but in relation to us, they are enormous. Yes. So yes, solar Everything flares. Is relative. Yeah. So solar flares. So I was talking about how the the magnetic field lines sort of clump together. Mm-hmm. You can kind of think of them as coils. Like think of think of a, a metal cable. All right. Okay. That and one end is secured to something. Okay. All right. And then just imagine that you're twisting that cable. 
And as you twist it, you're building up tension. Mm-hmm. And theoretically, uh, let's, well, let's say you just keep on twisting and twisting and twisting. It's kinking up. And then eventually it breaks free of whatever you've secured it to. Yes. Okay. It's going to untangle very violently, very quickly. The cable's going to f- whip around. and I and, wouldn't want to be next to it yeah, you wouldn't. You'd, you'd get thrashed. Might not get cut in half, according to the Mythbusters, but you're going to get bruised up pretty badly. And um, yeah, don't hang a pig next to the sun, I guess is the moral of that story. If you've seen that episode of Mythbusters, that makes sense. Otherwise, that's just the <laughs> strangest, yes. strangest non sequitur ever. But at any rate, so the magnetic field lines are like this. They, they can coil up and get really, really, really twisted and if uh, eventually something has to give now like i said sometimes they redistribute and everything's calm and everything's cool but uh no actually everything's warming up but sometimes they snap and mm-hmm. not snap as in break but snap as in they uncoil very very quickly and violently and as a result uh, material from the sun and light from the sun ejects out into space in a very kind of violent eruption and that's what we call a solar flare mm-hmm and uh, that mostly ends up being a lot of light in the complete spectrum, not just the visible spectrum, but things like X-rays, gamma rays, ultraviolet light. That gets ejected out there, too. Mm-hmm. And uh, and most of that is bad for us. Yep. Uh, the uh, the flares, these solar flares can be, uh, you know, several million degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. And uh, they could, uh, again, according to Noah, release as much energy as uh, TNT, like, I know a billion megatons of TNT, so it's an extremely violent reaction. Right now, fortunately, the Earth's atmosphere and magnetosphere help protect us against these uh, this light that comes out from the solar flares. So solar flares don't tend to bother us too much uh, because the Earth's atmosphere absorbs a lot of that light. So things like the gamma rays and X rays, we don't have to worry about getting irradiated from a solar flare most of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I say most of the time because there are exceptions. If you happen to be a an astronaut in outer space, you could be vulnerable mm-hmm. to uh, the energy released from a solar flare. Now, if you get into spacecraft, most spacecraft are shielded against such things. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to uh, necessarily suffer the effects. Um, although you could end up with something a- akin to a sunburn or some cellular damage, but uh, from most of the, the, re- the material I've read, such damage is not necessarily permanent or or catastrophic in nature but it's you know you still don't want it to happen mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, you never want to get hurt so um but it can also do nasty things like it can if if this energy were to hit say a satellite that doesn't have proper shielding on it it could actually strip the electrons mm-hmm. from the satellite and uh, create magnetic fields in the satellite which could fry the satellite's electronics that seems that seems bad yeah that's not good. Now, a lot of satellites are shielded against this, particularly things like military satellites. Mm-hmm. Um, not all of them are, because uh, just you know, it's one of those things where you have to pour in extra R and D and everything to to create a shielded satellite. Mm-hmm. So, some communication satellites could suffer if uh, if a solar flare erupted toward Earth and uh, and we got hit by that energy. Keep in mind that. You know, th- this, this, these kind of activities are happening all over the sun, and not all of those are going to be directed at us. True. So we don't necessarily have to worry about this every time it happens, just when it's pointed at us. Um, now, solar flares are are 
can be annoying, but those aren't the things that are really going to affect us um, on the ground most of the time, mm-hmm. apart from maybe some disruption of some communications mater- uh, satellites. Right. What we have to worry about are CMEs. Oh, you mean the coronal mass eject? Ejections. Yep. Coronal mass ejections. I'm yep. sorry. No, no, no. I you, thought I was getting ready to misspeak, and I didn't. No, you you were you were 100 on track. Uh, yeah, coronal mass ejections. Now these can sometimes accompany a solar flare, uh, and sometimes they happen without a solar flare. Um, a coronal mass ejection is remember we were talking about the corona earlier that that area around the sun that's at two million degrees. Uh, a coronal mass ejection is pretty much what it sounds like. It's a, a mass from the corona being ejected out into space. Again, it's a, it's related to magnetic field lines. Um, but unlike a solar flare, which ejects both light and lots of particles, uh, a coronal mm-hmm. mass ejection does not eject a lot of light. Lots and lots of subatomic particles, though. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, which in turn sends out a magnetic shock wave. Shock wave. Yeah, which is not good. No. You were mentioning magnetic mm-hmm. fields, like on Earth. Yes, indeed. And the thing is, um, the, since these are frequently found around sunspots, we have an idea of where they're going to happen. Yeah. Um, although maybe not necessarily when. Right. Well, and a couple of CMEs hit us. The, we're recording this in, in August of, of 2010, and a couple of CMEs uh, erupted and, and hit us just a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, fortunately, did not really disrupt that much here on Earth, but it could have. Um, it could have created what we call like a solar storm. Yes. Uh, but these CMEs, these these particles, this magnetic field, it can really mess us up. Uh, if you were, have ever really done any experiments with magnets, then you know that they behave in, in interesting ways. For example, if you have a really powerful magnet and you bring a less powerful magnet uh, within its magnetic field, the less powerful magnet will adjust its magnetic field to be aligned with the more powerful magnet. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. So if you were to blast, say, I don't know, the Earth with a huge magnetic shock wave, it could temporarily realign the Earth's magnetic field. Yes, as a matter of fact, uh, it is likely to compress, in this case, compress the magnetic field of the Earth on the side, uh, the day side, and extend it on the other side, the night side. Yeah, and... uh, It's it's basically, I guess if you could see it, it would sort of look like it was stretching it out on the other side. Right, right. Uh, And you might go, why the day side? Well, you know, that's side facing the sun. Yes, yeah. Funny how that happens, right? I know. Uh, so, so CMEs can do some cool stuff, mm-hmm. right? I mean, yes. one of the cool things uh, are the auroras, the aurora borealis and yes. the aurora australis. Yeah, you might not necessarily have imagined that those would be related to the magnetic field, but as it turns out, they are. Yeah, what's happening here is that the magnetic field uh, changes on, on Earth, and of course, you know, the, the magnetic field's originating at the poles, Right. That's that's the source where, you know, where the links are coming in. So uh, when the fluctuations hit, what will happen is that these these particles, this magnetic field is stripping oxygen and nitrogen of electrons, Mm -hmm. ionizing the atmosphere, essentially, is what's what's happening. Right. Uh Now, once those uh, those atoms, those oxygen and nitrogen atoms begin to lose energy, they will Mm -hmm. recombine with electrons. Okay. As a result, they give off light. It's it's kind of the 
you know, it's that's just part of the reaction. Is as they they get uh, electrons, they'll give off light, and that's the aurora mm-hmm. or the aurora borealis and aurora australis. And depending on how strong the CME is, you might be able to see that those effects pretty far away from the poles. Uh, there was a, a famous event in 18, I think it was 1859, where there was such a strong CME, and now granted, we didn't even know what that was at that point, but such a strong one hit the Earth that reportedly people as far south as Cuba could see the Aurora Borealis. Wow. Which is... That's significant. Yeah, that's pretty phenomenal. Um, now, granted, back in, back in 1859, we didn't have a whole lot of electronics to screw up, so it's kind of hard to say how extensive that would have messed up uh, our electronics today, but they did have problems with telegraph systems and things of that nature. Um, so that's uh, so it's indicative that we would have suffered problems today if it had happened that way now. Sure. Stuff, sure. things, words that I can put together in sentences. Well, it's not. It's certainly not the uh, the first noticeable sunspot. Uh, Goings on, um, you know, as far as the past when we didn't necessarily know what was going on, because um, uh, from the mid 1600s to probably the early part of the next century, uh, the Maunder minimum. Have you heard of this? I I do not know the Maunder minimum. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, uh, apparently there was very little sunspot activity, and uh, there were a number of long winters, uh, and uh, basically this was the Little Ice Age. Mm. I'm sure you've heard of that. Yes. Um, and they're they're not sure. I mean, obviously this is a problem of not having the instruments and the know-how at the time. Right. But it is coincidental that they, at least coincidental, that those two things happen right about the same time. Right. But they're thinking that it is possible that the uh, the very low sunspot activity may have had a part to play in the Little Ice Age. Also, um, you know, we're currently in what they're calling Solar Cycle 24. Uh, Catchy. I know, isn't it? Mm. Um, not... This apparently followed. Uh, never mind. Um, Solar but, cycle twenty three. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, apparently they they are expecting the scientists are expecting it to peak in the next year or two. So yeah. I have a feeling we're we're not going to be uh, we're going to see more than just uh, the activity from a few weeks ago. Here's what here's what irritates me. Why okay. why do we have to have the horrible coincidence? Of the Mayan calendar problem and the sunspot cycle. Because, yes, the sunspot cycle should have a peak either in 2011 or 2012. And as I'm sure many of you have heard, 2012 is the end of the Mayan long count calendar. Mm -hmm. Um, Or I should say a Mayan long count calendar because the Mayans actually used multiple calendars and not just that one. Um, So some people have gone on to say, hey, this might be what is going to be the end times. No, it's a coincidence, folks. I mean, I'm not going to say that sunspots won't cause massive problems because they can. But um, but it has nothing to do with the Mayan calendar. Just don't even think about that. So direct all your hate mail to uh, stuff you should know. And <laughs> so coronal coronal mass ejections, we talked about how you know it can it can really create these powerful auroras. Well, sure. that that magnetic flux causes other problems as well. I did mention earlier about dynamos where you use a magnetic field to induce electricity. Yes. Sometimes that can happen even if you didn't intend it to. Uh-oh. And yeah, that is a major uh-oh. So for for big big powerful conductors. So we're talking about things like electrical transformers and power grids. Uh if you 
create a magnetic flux around these, it can induce electricity to flow through them. Now, if your if your power system has capacity for that, that's mm-hmm. fine. Mm-hmm. But in North America, our power grid is operating almost at capacity all the time. Right. So there's really no room for more power to flow through this system. And here's the – if you were to – create more power in the system. Uh, the the big problem there would be that you've got the system that, that is already operating as close to capacity as we can comfortably get. Mm-hmm. Uh, it There's an overflow issue. It, it seems strange, but if you put too much electricity through a power line, it can cause the power line to snap. Oh, yeah. And the reason for that, or, well, there are multiple reasons. One is that one of the byproducts of making electricity flow through things, because we don't have any perfect conductors, is it generates heat. Mm-hmm. So as power lines heat up, they expand, they sag, and if they heat up enough, they'll snap. Mm-hmm. So you run enough electricity through these things, they will actually weaken and break. And so a really powerful CME could presumably create a magnetic field that could uh, cause power lines to snap across an entire region. It would also cause transformers to suddenly have massive amounts of electricity flowing through them. These are, in general, what we call bad things, because... Um, <laughs> capital B, capital yeah. T, bad things. Now, I'm not saying it's going to lead to the collapse of civilization, but it could lead to an entire region, an entire sector of the power grid going down. And once the power grid goes down, it really starts to muck up your uh, ability to handle a crisis. Mm-hmm. Because we, we depend so heavily upon electricity. Yes. Right. Even uh, even portable electronics. You know. Yeah. Even, even stuff not connected directly to the grid are affected. Yeah. When something uh, like this even, happens. Even because... if they weren't directly affected, like even if your phone isn't fried, you'd still have to connect to the system that was actually plugged into the wall. Yeah. Essentially, which is fried. Which is fried. Yeah. So. A, a major CME probably wouldn't make like you know we talk about uh, EMPs. We did that right. The electromagnetic yeah. pulse. Mm-hmm. An electromagnetic pulse is kind of the same thing. You're creating this huge magnetic field that will wipe out electronics. Mm-hmm. Well, it's sort of the same thing with a CME, except that smaller electronics probably would not be damaged or affected. So you're not going to have to worry about your smartphone suddenly being fried. Mm-hmm. The problem is that the cellular network you connect to has been fried. Mm-hmm. So you're carrying around a device that still works, but there's no service to support it. The service you are trying to reach has been completely obliterated. Right. <laughs> Please try your call again later. Exactly. So that's... Uh, that's the real issue there. It's not, it's not just that your uh, your electronics could die on you. It's that the support systems could die on you. Right. Now, if you had, let's say, a phone that also had a radio function in it, uh, theoretically, you would be able to use that except for one small problem, mm-hmm. which is that the atmosphere has been ionized and radio waves don't travel very well through it. <laughs> so it can actually uh, – a coronal mass ejection can also disrupt radio signals. Which uh, may be problematic since the uh, they're talking about the possibility of requiring FM receivers and oh, portable you put that you said that just to make me go crazy, <laughs> just to make me R I A oh requiring all devices to oh that's in the news today the day we're recording this and uh, there's no there's no guarantee that anything will happen they're just per, uh, the R I A A and the uh, recording industry. Uh, executive and the radio industry are per, are trying to get electronic manufacturers to put an FM receiver in pretty much anything that has. Yeah, in order in to it. support a dying industry. 
But but that's not what our talk our talk is about. I no, just no, wanted, we I could, just wanted to push one of Jonathan's buttons. We Sorry, could, we could do a full podcast. He wanted to give me an aneurysm, is what he wanted to do. Um, if uh, we could do a whole podcast on that, and yes, it has nothing to do with what we're talking no, about no, here. No. So uh, will uh, will defeat a, that? <laughs> will a solar event wipe out all electronics on Earth? Probably not. For something like that, something so massive to do that, because again. It's mostly going to affect whichever side of the, the Earth is facing the sun right. at that time, and right. it's not even going to affect the whole surface evenly. Um, so for something to, to be so strong as to put that kind of strain on the Earth's power systems, uh, I think that the electricity thing would be the least of our worries because yeah. we'd be bathed in radiation. Yes. Um, that seems bad again. Yeah. And there's no, there, there's no evidence that anything like that will happen. Now, granted, there... There is the potential for uh, systems to, to suffer in the short term, mm-hmm. and uh, and that that damage could be extensive enough to cause some really serious problems. Like if you imagine, you know, like the blackouts that we had yeah. in in years past in things like New York and and California. Um, those can cause big issues, especially if there's an emergency. Uh, it makes it much harder for emergency crews to respond. Um, there are some real problems that come with this sort of stuff, but it's not like a global uh, 2012 or day after tomorrow kind of situation. Right, right. Sorry, Emmerlich. <laughs> That's been uh, Hollywooded up a little bit. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. I'm mean, yeah. just, you know, yeah, I don't understating. Think, I don't think John Cusack will have to do three back-to-back chase sequences from in an airplane versus the Earth if we have a massive CME event in no. 2012. Um, but he might have difficulty getting cell phone reception. Yeah. He might have difficulty getting cast in another movie. Oh. I like Cusack a lot, but seriously, dude. We're off topic. 2012. We're no, no, topic. that's on topic because 2012 was caused supposedly by solar events affecting the Earth's core in some vaguely scientific way that made no sense. Okay. All right. If you would like to complain, <laughs> send your email to stuff you should know. Um, I just like to keep that meme going. Yeah, okay. Because uh, they'll complain on air about us. <laughs> we just send complaints to them. Uh, no, they're great guys. Uh, anyway, yeah, that kind of wraps this up. That that That's how the sun can really mess with your electronics. Uh, there's not a whole lot we can do about it, really, except to try and upgrade to smarter power systems that are shielded against this kind of thing. Because mm-hmm. there are things that we can do. That like a smart grid, which could you know adjust capacity as needed, would theoretically be able to handle this kind of thing. But we don't have a smart grid. We're trying to move toward that, but that could take decades to create. It's a lot of time and a lot of expense and a lot of labor to get that switched out. Right, right. So uh, hopefully people will support that and we'll be able to move to such a system so that in the event that something like this happens, we have as little interruption in our daily lives as possible. Yes. That's the goal. I'd like that. All right, guys. Well, thanks so much for listening. If you have any questions, comments, topic suggestions, anything like that, you can write us. Our email address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. And Chris and I will talk to you again really soon. If you're a Tech Stuff fan, be sure to check us out on Twitter. Tech Stuff HSW is our handle, and you can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash techstuffhsw. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. And be sure to check out the new Tech Stuff blog, now on the HowStuffWorks homepage. 
Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?